you have your Bibles, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. And uh, I know it's 4th of July, and uh, I know that a lot of you want to see fireworks if the rain doesn't come. And uh, it was always a big deal for our family growing up, and so uh, I will shoot to be done by 8 o'clock tonight. So if you're here in, the, in Ephesians chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 19. The Bible says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart in the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. They might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. They might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you be in particular, so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Let's open an order of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word, and God, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do. I pray for every marriage in the room tonight. God, help us to be the husbands and wives that you've called us to be. God, help us to be a good picture of Christ in the church. And God, we know that marriage is under attack. Lord, we know that Satan is relentless. And God, I pray that uh, we would walk away from these messages desiring to be what you've called us to be. So we looked last night as husbands that we would be uh, a learner, a lover, and a leader. And God, that we would fulfill those roles in the way that you want us to fulfill them. And God, I pray the same tonight as we look at these areas for a wife. Help the women here tonight who are wives to desire to be the wife that you've called them to be. God, we thank you for giving us an instruction manual for life. And Lord, help us to apply it. May we not just be hearers of your word, but God, help us to be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I thought about relationships, I've had, you know, sometimes women say, well, how can you help us? You've never been a wife. Well, that's true. I'm very happy to say that. Uh, but... I was a biblical counselor, and if I had to have everything that I counseled, I would have been a basket case, right? And so I don't have to know how to, I don't have to be a drug addict to help you not be a drug addict, right? I just need to know God's word. And so my challenge, like I said last night, is if you hear anything tonight that you think, well, that's Jim's opinion, search the scriptures, all right? Disagree with me biblically. But if you walk away tonight saying, I think you made the case, this is, this is what the Bible says, then it's up to you whether you're going to apply it. Now, the same rule, uh, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit, guys, all right? I don't want you nudging your wife tonight. Uh, you know, just let the Holy Spirit work. And whatever they, again, I think that your ladies are going to cover things that you're going to struggle with. And I would say, guys, let her decide what she's going to work on. And so, and we are going to try and get those 50 questions if you want those. Several of you have said you want them. We'll try and get them here so that you can just take a copy if you'd like that. But... 
I think we understand as we read through this text in Ephesians that marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. There's a lot of reasons Satan hates marriage, and he was really good at the very first one with Adam and Eve, right? I mean, how many of us would say, yeah, he caused some marriage problems with Adam and Eve and really murdered him, right? I mean, this is where Jesus says he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning while he killed Adam and Eve. One rule. And in that one rule, they had a problem. And it's really funny when you read about it because Adam only knows two people and he blames both of them for why he sinned. <laughs> the woman you gave me, she caused me to sin. <laughs> like, you only know two people. <laughs> How come it's all their fault? And sometimes when you can come to anything on marriage, especially if the hurt's been deep or been going on for a while, especially if you've gotten really good at hiding it, it's, it's really tempting to go through this and just have the attitude, well, if they do, I will. And, and I'd really like you to just say, no, if God speaks to me, I, I want to work on this. I would challenge you tonight, marriage is not to be a competition or a battlefield. Two are to become one, according to Scripture. And this is what I find in a lot of Christian marriages. We all agree if you, and again, does divorce happen and can remarriage happen? And I, don't, I believe there are two narrow exception clauses for that. But I think wherever you are when you get saved, whoever you're married to, that's who you stay married to. And so a lot of you have been taught that, a lot of you believe that, so you stay married, but you're not happy. And, and in fact, we would almost say in good Christian marriages, well, they're really good friends. Have you ever settled just for that? We're friends. And I'd have her back, she'd have my back, but you know, that's still not God's ideal in marriage. God wants you to be lovers. And if you just settled for friendship, and you said, hey, we're really good friends, it's like I married my brother, or married my sister, and, and you know, we... We get along pretty good. I mean, I, we, we're, we're really good friends. That's not the goal. And I would even challenge you, that's not why you first got married. In fact, if you have your Bible, go over to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. I love what Solomon says about love at the end of that passage. <laughs> Some of you got nervous with the kids gone tonight. Uh, but go to chapter 8. Look what he says in verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Do you remember when you loved your spouse like that? I mean, at least you loved him like that when you got married. I mean, I'm always in the back with the guys, and I would just say, hey, are you sure you want to go through with this? Thankfully, they all said yes. I don't know what I would have done if they said no. And you know what? They're in the back. You know what they think? I'm going to give up every woman on the planet to get that girl. And you know what? I'm getting a great deal. Man, she's worth it. I am happy to give up every one other woman on the planet and put a ring on her finger and spend the rest of my life with her. And you know what? She, I'm always at the front. I see her walk down the aisle. She's got a huge grin on her face. You know what she thinks? I'm getting him. I'm giving up every guy on the planet. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him. There was a time in your marriage when you were lovers. But if you're, if you're not careful, you settle. And Satan hates marriage. He attacks it constantly. Uh, you know, I use some illustrations. And, and you know, so I do that just so that you know, hey, I, Joan and I have worked through things. And we've got to keep working on th things. You know, because Satan never gives us a pass. And I don't always handle it right. And I mean, I, in preparation for preaching last night, I took one thing that I need to work on. 
It wasn't like I escaped last night either, right? I didn't walk out here going, I got all that. No, I was like, oh, you know what? I, that was a good reminder to me. I, I want to work on that. And so as we get into this tonight, in fact, I, I love what one author wrote. We were spinning out of control. We felt trapped. We were committed to remaining married, but the marriage was miserable and the future looked hopeless. Neither of us believed we could divorce. It was only our personal commitment to Christ that held us intact. Even though we were dealing with personal fears and doubts in our relationship with Christ, we still held to the truth of his word and believed he had no valid justification to divorce. We weren't willing to walk away from the marriage legally, but each of us had long ago walked away from the relationship emotionally. We shared the same roof, but not the same heart. And I would just say as I travel, I meet a lot of people like that. And a lot of people would look at those kinds of marriages and say, well, they're good marriages. But only you and your spouse know what happens behind closed doors. Is it really a good marriage? And I don't know about you, I loved the chapel this morning. Because I don't know how you could have walked out of chapel this morning and not thought we have an amazing, awesome, huge God and we are so small. And I don't know what burdens you're working through, but I walked out of this service going, man, whatever I'm facing, God's big enough to handle it. And I just, I, I just walked away saying, man, I felt small and that felt good this morning. I just was like, especially, do you remember that slide he showed of just the dot and that's the earth? <laughs> you go, man, we have a big God. And some of you, you think that your marriage issues have gotten so bad they can't be repaired. That's garbage tonight. That's not a really Greek word, but it's true. <laughs> you can have a great marriage. You can be in love again, not just endure, not just stay together for the kids, but you can really say, man, I love this person. And maybe you haven't felt that in a while, and maybe that's gotten you a little discouraged. I want to challenge you, if you can get back to the biblical roles, it's going to be a big start. I would also challenge you that if you're off track, go see your pastor. Get help. Like I talked about with plumbing problem. Fix your marriages as quickly as you attack your plumbing issues. So let's go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, and three roles for a wife, just as there are three roles for a husband, and the first one is submission. Genuine re unity requires a sorting out of responsibi responsibilities. Imagine the frustration that would exist in a business where there was no job description, where everything was everyone's business and nothing was anybody's business. That's the kind of confusion and frustration that exists in many marriages because there's never been a sorting out of responsibilities. And again, I hope you brought a Bible tonight. This isn't my opinion. I didn't say wives need to submit. That's what the Bible says. But let's define it. And it's, it, has it been greatly abused by people? Absolutely. So let's lock through what it is, what it isn't, and then let's try and make some applications. But the goal, if you have your notes here, the goal is for a wife not only to be in submission but comfortable with it because of her husband's leadership. Now, I had to rush last night, but guys, if you look at how you're to lead, you should be a loving leader. As we said last night, you can't force submission. That has to be their choice. But the Bible's very clear that two are to become one and the Trinity, three are one. But in the Trinity, is there an order? In three are one, does one submit to the other? Yes, right? Jesus submitted to the Father. Remember, we talked about this on Sunday morning. Father, please, is there any other way that Jim can go to heaven? Answer comes back, no. Jesus submits to the Father. We go to Philippians. He submitted unto death, even the death of the cross. 
So though three are one in the unity, in the Trinity, there was, there was a submission. And so in marriage, two are one, but there is still someone who is to take the lead. And God's been clear in Scripture, that's to be the husband. So for a wife to be joyful, she must be God's kind of woman. I'm not going to ask you ladies to agree with that or not, but it's true. All right? Hopefully you'd all say, that I agree. If I'm to be joyful, I have to be God's kind of woman. So three words describe your role. And the first is submission. A lot of women want to control their husbands. By the way, the reason that I think God puts these three is this is where people are weak. God, why did God give the commands to men to love, learn, and lead? That's where they're weak. Why is God going to give these three commands to a wife to submit, complete, and respect? Because that's where you tend to be weak. Because a lot of women want to control their husbands. I think you see that almost right off the get-go with Adam and Eve. And so as you think through that, whether that's true of you or not, um, I'd like you to just consider that tonight. And again, I want to read a quote from... Men Who Love Fierce Women. Now, she wrote a, a book on her own called Fierce Women. But since I'm not a wife, I do like to quote from another lady just to give me some backup, all right? So, and she says what she writes. And what we call the fierce woman, fearful man cycle. In this cycle, a strong woman usually unintentionally intimidates her husband or frustrates him with her intensity. He retreats, so she increases the pressure, hoping he'll respond to her need. The cycle might work something like this. Wife has strong desires and exerts her fierceness in order to obtain those desires. The husband retreats in fear or ignores his wife and picks up the nearest brain-numbing object available, media remote, book, laptop, or video game. Or husband fears disappointing his wife and goes to any length to make sure she gets what she wants. Or husband feels intimidated and lashes back in anger resulting in verbal or physical injury. The author writes, the further he retreated, the more my fierceness grew. And I think if you are a strong woman here, which again, probably half of you are, that isn't a bad thing if you're handling it the right way, if you're handling it biblically. Um, my wife is a strong woman. Someone asked us at supper, is your wife a strong woman? She is. I couldn't do what I do. She spends more time alone than most wives should have to do that with my traveling schedule. And when I came to faith, I thought I was just going to disciple college kids. I thought that's what presidents did. <laughs> that's like nothing a president gets to do. <laughs> and I didn't know that. And we, she didn't know that. And when she agreed to move to faith, it, it ended up being very different. We were in huge trouble. And uh, we almost closed. And I can say that now, but at the time, I go to bed every night, I have this anvil on my chest. I was a terrible husband. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm fine when things are good, but when things are bad, I grew up on a farm, I can work hard. And I'd get up early and I'd stay up late. If you know your Bibles, that should sound like a Bible verse to you, right? It's vain to get up early and stay up late unless the Lord builds the house who labor in vain that build it. If you have a bent toward workaholism, then you take that all on yourself and go, I gotta help us through this. That's dumb. I, was, I sinned against her terribly our first two years here at Faith. I was gone all the time. You know, whether faith exists or not isn't up to Jim Tillotson. It's up to God. Praise God for that. That's why you need to walk out of a session and remind yourself God's big. God has this. I mean, God, I don't know how many times I got to learn the same lesson. Any of you guys like that as well? And we had COVID and they guaranteed every university is going to decline 20%, which would have been a disaster for faith. 
And the board said, well, you better come up with a plan. And so I had a disaster plan. It was ugly. It was horrible. We were going to have to cut people. It would have been terrible. And we couldn't travel. Everyone canceled travel. It was great for our marriage. <laughs> By the way, no one loved getting COVID more than the two of us. <laughs> Home a week together and nobody can talk to us. This was awesome. My wife was like, how can we get COVID again? That was great. <laughs> We did not mind COVID. We, no, we didn't get any of the bad symptoms. We were super tired, but it was pretty cool to be quarantined for 10 days, just the two of you. You're like, man, this is awesome. And when we couldn't travel, our teams couldn't travel, so every Monday to Friday, our admin team met and we prayed. And we came in and we prayed all through that semester, and in the fall, we grew 10%. Only 20% of universities, secular or Christian, in all of America stayed flat or grew. We were in the top 20%. And we did nothing that you'd normally do to recruit. We couldn't go to schools, couldn't go out and preach. All our travel ended during COVID. And people came and said, how did that happen? Well, we prayed a lot. <laughs> and someone said to me, maybe you should stop traveling and pray more. <laughs> I hate that guy. Uh, <laughs> but true, right? So if you can resonate and understand that, hey, there is a struggle that is a struggle for wives that they want to control their husband. They want to be in charge. They want to call the shots. If you're a strong woman, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to, to give him time. And you're going to have to work through this. And, and yet there's wonderful things. And I married a strong woman. I could not do what I do without a strong woman. And so... If you're a strong woman, don't take any of things as negative. They're only negative if you use them in a destructive way. And so we'll talk through this as we go through your notes. So submission, it's not just a woman's problem. You know, sometimes women think, well, why is God picking on me? How come, how come I have to submit? Well, it started in heaven. Satan wasn't willing to submit. That's how he became the devil. It was continued in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, one rule. Wouldn't you love to go back to that? <laughs> I tell you, as a college president, I would love to get up and say, hey, we, we've changed our handbook this year. We just have one rule. <laughs> our students would probably love that too. In fact, if you work with higher ed, if you have a rule, it's because you had a creative student that did something you never thought anyone would ever do. And that's usually, now we have to have a rule for that because who would have ever guessed we have to have a rule for that? Uh, <laughs> our, our dorm flooded. And they called me and said, the sprinkler has gone off. It's flooding the downstairs dorm. And I said, I, as soon as I heard it, I said, tell me some guys didn't do something stupid. And if you work with college kids, you know something stupid happened, right? <laughs> a guy decided to throw a football down the hallway, went off another guy's shoulder and snapped the head off of the sprinkler system. I mean, think of hundreds of gallons of water dumping on your downstairs dorm. So now we have a rule, don't throw footballs inside the, the dorm. And some freshmen go, that's such a dumb rule. Why do you have that rule? Well, you weren't here in the flood. <laughs> and so it continued in Eden. And in fact, number three, I'd, I'd scratch out Isaiah and put Ephesians 5. We just read this verse in verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. All of us have to submit. There's not a man in this room that doesn't have to submit to the government. No guy in this room could go, unless you're the owner, you can't go to work and just do whatever you want to do. You have to do what they tell you to do. All of us have to submit in some way. So don't think this is just something women have to do. All of us have to submit. 
And it was contrasted by Christ. In Philippians, keep your finger in Ephesians. Let's go over to Philippians, next book. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. I hate to be this stark about this, but it's really choosing between being like Christ or Satan. Satan said, no one's going to tell me what to do. Jesus was obedient to the cross. It's between being obedient or rebellious. It's between growing or not growing spiritually. And again, if you disagree with me, you're going to have to prove that biblically. Because I think the Bible is very clear that a wife is to submit to her husband. So B, what is submission not? Let's make sure that's really clear. It's not inequality. Women are not less than men. The Bible is very clear that he created men and women equal. So just because he asked us, by the way, was Jesus less than God? I mean, theologically, if we believe in the Trinity, we believe they are equals, but they had different roles. And so Jesus is not less than God. They're equal, but they had different roles. Men and women, they're, they're equal, but they have different roles. Number two, it's not the infallibility of the husband. God doesn't say, submit to your husband because he's always right, even though he may tell you that. <laughs> in fact, I tell our college girls, if you marry Mr. Perfect, Run. <laughs> Don't marry the guy who's always right. If he can never be wrong, he's going to be a terrible husband. And ladies, God, does, God knows your husband's not going to get it right all the time. And, and honestly, ladies, let me give you a little secret. When he gets it wrong, he doesn't need you to tell him, I told you so. He already knows that. <laughs> but he already knows that. And sometimes he's going to do something super stupid and you're going to say, I told you not to do that. How come you didn't listen to me? Or all of a sudden Fred's going to come over and say the same thing you've said 50 times and he hears, acts like it's the first time he's ever heard it. And he comes and goes, man, Fred just told me this. I'm going to do this. Are you kidding me? I told you that 10 times already. How come Fred's more important than me? Which shouldn't be the case. But ladies, it's not infallibility of the husband. He's a sinner. Number three, it's not immobility. And I want to tie that into number four. It's not inarticulation. If I took you to Luke 17, verses 1 to 2, the Bible says, if you abuse a child, it's better than a millstone or hung about your neck and you're drowned in the sea. That's Jesus speaking, by the way, red print in a red print Bible. Abuse is never okay. If I take you to Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, he's very clear that we have authorities and they don't hold the sword in vain. And ladies, abuse is never okay. And if you're being abused, you should report it to the police. And, and, and I think the Bible's pretty clear on that. And when a guy twists this scripture to say, I can abuse you because you have to submit to me, that is never what God intended in scripture. And God's very clear, and I assume, I would hope every pastor in this room, if a, a woman came to you and said, my husband's abusing me, I hope every pastor in this room would say, we're going to take care of you. And we've got to walk through church discipline, but we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to leave you in that situation. 
And so ladies, don't think submission means immobility, I can't leave. Doesn't mean inarticulation, I can't say anything. Because if you've ever worked with abuse cases as I have, it's so irritating when guys are using scripture to do something so sinful. And, and I hope that every good man in this room would say, man, I'll do whatever I can to protect the women. By the way, that's, remember back in the day when it was women and children first? <laughs> Fire in the building, ships going down, what do they used to say? Women and children first. What is it today in our culture? Whoever gets there first. But guys, we need to be biblical men. We need to protect women. We need to protect children. And sadly, abuse can happen in the church. And when it happens, and if you're aware of it, we all have responsibility to protect women and children. And ladies, if your husband has said, you got to put up with this because you have to submit, that's a wrong vision of submission. It's not inarticulation. It's not immobility. Number five, it's not intellectual stagnation, the idea of barefoot and pregnant. You know, just, you know, I, I, I don't have a brain. That's not true. And hopefully you keep growing in your personal walk. Hopefully you're impacting your husband. You should be your, best count, your husband's best counselor. We'll get to that in a minute. Number six, it's not ingenious manipulation, ladies. <laughs> Rebecca would be the greatest biblical example of this. Remember Rebecca and Isaac? And the birthright comes and she goes to the younger son and says, hey, <laughs> let's pull one over on dad. And uh, I need you to go kill an animal. We're going to put some skins. Dad can't see very good. He can't hear. I'll make the food, and we'll get you the birthright. That was not a good plan. And I, I remember counseling a couple. By the way, I'm so passionate about biblical counseling because I get up on Sunday morning and preach and say, the Bible has everything you need for life and godliness. And then someone comes to me with a problem, and I say, well, you've got to go see a secular counselor. Well, that's goofy. If I really think this is everything I need, then I should take the Bible. But I had a couple come in in their marriage, and I, I mean, I could tell she was a very strong woman, and she was on the negative side of being strong. And she sat across my desk, and she said, Pastor Jim, I always submit. I just always submit to my husband. Just ask him, just ask him. I'm just like, oh, my word. I don't have to ask him. But I did, I said, and I, I'm telling you, when you're dealing with marriage problems, I never had someone tell me that. Every wife is willing to say, yeah, I don't always submit. I've never had a woman who just said, I always submit. I would just ask him, just ask him. So he sitting right there, I said, sir, is that really true? And he looked at me for a minute and goes, yeah, I guess I'd say that's true. And I was floored. I was like, I have never heard that. And he goes, well... You know, to be honest, she just starts crying and she's so miserable. I finally just say, okay, we'll do it your way. Well, that is not, that is not the way it's supposed to go, ladies. That's ingenious manipulation, all right? And if you've gotten good at manipulating your husband, that is not submission. And you know, hey, if I start crying, if I do whatever, then he'll just say, oh, do it your way. That's not what God's looking for either. And number seven, influence impossible. If we had the time, we could look at Hannah. By the way, all women have great influence on their men. If your husband ever says, I don't care what you think, he's lying. You do influence your husband. So it doesn't mean you don't have influence. Continuing on, submission comes from this Greek word that means arrange yourself and rank under. Relinquish your rights. Just who has the ax over his neck? 
Who's God going to hold responsible when you get to heaven someday? God's going to hold the husband responsible. That's why it's, in, in a sense, it should be a little freeing to you ladies to say, hey, if we get off the rails, that's on him. Because God's asked me to, to follow my husband. That's a hard thing to do. But God's going to hold him responsible. Number one, it's a divine plan for function and order. It's a way of life for all believers. It's an attitude toward God. It's an act of the will. If you only submit when you feel like it, that's not going to work too well. By the way, have you noticed that submission's never a problem till you disagree? <laughs> like, I, submission's great when I think we're all on the same page, right? We're all doing the same thing. It, it becomes really irritating when I strongly disagree. We're going to your parents again for Christmas. By the way, ladies, speak up. Share your thoughts and opinions. But if your husband's like, yeah, I've really been praying about this. By the way, let me say this about submission. Guys, if more than five times a year you're doing it your way, you're probably not as loving as you should be. It should be rare in a year that you have to say to your wife, I heard what you said, I've thought about it, and I just feel we gotta do it this way. But I would say it probably will happen five-ish times a year. And in those times when your husband says, you know what, I heard you, I've thought about it, and we need to do it this way, then God's very clear, ladies, and you need to get behind that. That's an act of the will. You won't feel like doing that. And I did not put this in the Bible last night. The Bible says, if you have your Bible, in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. How are we supposed to submit to God? Now, the huge difference is God is perfect and your husband's not. But you should speak up. You should tell him why you think it's a bad idea. And if he does it anyway, then you just say, okay, we're going to get behind that. It's a proof of love. It's a way to stay youthful. If I had time, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. It's a picture of the church obeying Christ. Number two, you're to be a fitting helper. So number one, God says, wives, you need to submit to your husband. This is what submission is. It's arranging yourself in rank under. It's saying two are one. And I'm going to share where I think he's going off the rails or why it's a bad decision. But if he makes the decision, the Bible's very clear. I need to get behind that and support that. If he's a loving leader, and again, I'm going to run out of time. But let me just make this little comment. We, we saw a lady who got saved early in our ministry. And... I met them because I, I walked up to their door and, and uh, he saw me coming and he said to his wife, you go talk to him. <laughs> and I walked up and I said, well, hi, I'm Pastor Jim Tilts and I'm from a new church plant here in town. He goes, oh, you're a pastor, come on up. And he came up, he'd been abused in the Catholic church and had a lot of bad experiences in his past, was no, not interested in talking to anyone from religion, but ended up liking us. We built a great friendship. And he finally said to his wife, okay, you can go to their church. Well, she started coming, and my wife had the joy of leading her to Christ. She got saved. And he was a mean drunk. I mean, and he got drunk every night. I mean, he was a hard alcoholic, but he loved Joan and I. He would fix her car and charge her to fix her car. I mean, he was just a terrible guy, terrible husband. And I would witness to him. My wife got him to come to church one Sunday. He showed up. I didn't know he was coming. I was preaching on knowing God. He bolted. I mean, have you ever seen someone bolt out of a service? Like when I said amen, he's gone. I mean, he's out in the parking lot. He told his wife, I'm never going back there again. I remember calling him up and I don't know what we talked about, but I'd always try and give him the gospel. We, did, we had him over for dinner. We did all this stuff together. And after three years of building this friendship, 
I just said, Reg, I'm really concerned about you. I want you to know you're going to have me. He goes, how come ever you do this? And he hung up the phone on me. I just dialed him right back. <laughs> Reg, I said, well, how come every time you talk to me, God, bring God into it? I said, listen, Reg, next time we'll talk about baseball, all right? I'll just talk about baseball. I just care about you. I want you to be in it. All right, but knock it off. A week later, in a blizzard, he calls me. Hey, I need to meet you at church right now. I said, Reg, that's really funny. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. I need you to meet me right now. I said, in a blizzard? He goes, yeah. I said, Reg, I will swear on my mother's grave. If I get to church and you're not there, I will never talk to you again in my life. <laughs> he says, I'll be there, I'll be there. I said, you're gonna drive through a blizzard, I'm gonna drive through a blizzard, and you're gonna meet me at church right now. That's what you're telling me. That's what I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I gotta meet you. I said, you better be there. I'll be there, I'll be there. I drove through a blizzard. You've seen blizzards? If you haven't seen a Canadian blizzard, you don't know what you've missed, all right? I mean, it is snowing so hard, I can hardly see off the end of my car. The whole way there, I'm thinking, this is a joke, and I am gonna kill him. I get to the church, he's there. I walk in, he sits down on the other side of my desk, I need to be saved. I'm like, why now? <laughs> and this is, this is the honest truth, which hopefully every preacher tells you the honest truth. He said, I can't take it anymore. He says, I've been so mean, I've been a mean drunk, and my wife has been so sweet and so godly, and she was. And he said, I've been so horrible, and she's been so sweet and so wonderful, I can't take it anymore, I need to be saved. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if a husband won't be won by the word, he can be won by the lifestyle of the wife. By the way, I would tell you that she was a strong woman. You can't have a guy who gets drunk every night. In fact, he died years later with cirrhosis of the liver. That's how much he drank. But I mean, the last few years, he came to church all the time. God changed his life. Why did he get saved? Because he had a wonderful wife. And ladies, some of you think you got it hard, and some of you go, easy for you to say. If you knew what I was living with, you wouldn't ask me to submit. You never follow him into sin. God's very clear on that. He says, hey, let's watch some porn to spice up our sex life. You don't do that. He says, hey, let's go drinking together. You don't do that. You don't sin. But there's a lot of times, ladies, if you were honest, you said, man, I, I went to war when I should have submitted. I went to war when I should have, I should have said, okay. And God's very clear on this. Number two, fitting helper. Genesis 2.18, not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a help meet for you, which means completer. You have to decide between the president, the completer, or just a housewife. The correct answer is completer. But some women say, if I can't be the president, then I'm just gonna sit around and do nothing. That's not okay either. No one can contribute as you can. You are a mirror to your husband. Pray for him emotionally, physically, attitudes, domestically. By the way, I was... a college and career pastor, there's a big difference when you walk into a single guy's home and a single girl's home. I mean, guys, single guys, they do not have drapes. They do not have towels. They, they're, I've walked in and seen an engine in the living room and I'm just like, dude, you need to get married. I mean, that is, that is not okay. I mean, you get married and all of a sudden you got more pillows on your bed than you've ever had in your life. You're like, why do we need all these pillows? You have towels you can't use. You're like, why do we even have these? Well, they're for the guests. 
But every guy knows that wife brought something into your life that you desperately needed. And God says, hey, that is a help meet. She is helping you. She's completing you. You are not as good alone as you are with her. But when you allow sin into your heart and you start thinking, you know what? I would be okay without her. Satan's winning. And Satan hates your marriage tonight. And if you ever have that thought, you need to get alone with God and say, God, I'm sorry. That is a lie. I would not be better without her. I just tell you, after years of marriage counseling, I tell you, you know what's so heartbreaking is when a woman believes that. When a woman feels he'd be better without me. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. I wish you could have been there the night that my mom passed away. My dad's old school. I probably have seen him cry five times in my lifetime. And she died in an accident. From the minute she hit her head, she never came out of it. And they came and told us, we're going to have to take her off life support. And when we do, we guarantee you she will die. I remember holding her hand on this side. My dad was holding her hand on that side. My sister was at the end of the bed. And I remember begging God, don't let that be true. God, don't let that happen. God, when they pull that plug, let her heart keep beating. And they pulled that plug. And in 10 minutes, it went from up and down to flatline. And my dad just sobbed. My dad never got a chance to say any last words. A lot of us that know the Finchams, Sarah Fincham's dad died two days ago of a heart attack. They found him on the side of the road. He was biking. You don't know when the last time is going to be. If this was your last night, are you okay? If tonight was the last night you had with your spouse, are you okay? Or would you say, boy, if this was the last night, I'd want to get some things right. Because as a pastor, I can tell you the people who let their spouse go out into eternity without things being right are some of the most heartbreaking regrets I've ever heard. Oh, pastor, I should have treated her better. Oh, pastor, I should have treated him better. What would it take for you to say, I need to do this now? And men need a helper, and they need you. And I have three minutes, reverence. If you go back to Ephesians 5, verse 32, this is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respect her husband. Take your Bible, keep your finger here, but go to Proverbs 21.9. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Look what he says in chapter 25. Proverbs 25, verse 24. It's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Look at chapter 27, verses 15 and 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. 
whoever restrains or restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. That word contentious means love to fight. In other words, she's not afraid to mix it up. She wants to contest everything that you say or do. And women, if you are a contentious woman, you're being hard on your man. And I didn't write the book of Proverbs, God did. And God says, if you are a contentious woman, this is how your husband is going to feel. We could take another place, it says they'd rather be out in the desert. He'd rather try and make it with no water and scorpions than live with you because you are so contentious. And ladies, reverence, it really has, this word for respect, it really has the he's my man kind of attitude. It really has this idea that, and you felt that way when you married him. And, and as much as you crave love, men crave respect. I mean, they did a survey and said, uh, if you had 100 people, how many of you would rather be uh, respected and loved or loved and disrespected? 99, I, was, I don't know if it's, it was in the high 90s of men said, I'd rather be respected and unloved. And of course, the high percentage of women said, I'd rather be loved and disrespected. And I tell you, ladies, if you are always criticizing, think of it as a bank account. If you're always taking money out and never putting money in, you're going to go bankrupt. When's the last time you complimented him versus complained about him? And if you're always putting him down, you're always telling him what he did wrong, you're always reminding him what a failure he is, a lot of men are going to give up. Now, that's not okay. I challenged the men last night. Be Caleb. We need courageous men. You need to get up again. You need to keep loving. But ladies, it's super discouraging. And it's especially hard, ladies, if he heard last night and he's going to try. I could tell you, again, so many, you know, what people get ticked off about is crazy, right? I had one guy so irritating that his wife would fold the clothes, wash the clothes, but she wouldn't put them in the dresser. I mean, I'm just glad they got done. I don't know how they get done at our house. I think we have fairies. But I just, <laughs> and somehow I get clean clothes all the time. It's awesome. But that's what ticked him off. And so I'd say to the wife, well, well could you work on this? <laughs> I don't know, it's just how he's wired. Could you really try to just get him from the basement to the dresser? And yes, she can do that. But when she's constantly not doing that, you know how he feels? Disrespected. And it seems like a stupid thing. I, I love the story of the guy who is dying. And they went to see his doctor and the doctor said, man, you're in bad trouble, let's do some blood work. And they ran the blood work and he called up and he said, hey, I need you to bring your wife. And you need to come back. You're in pretty serious trouble. I need you to bring your wife. And so he called his wife. He said, honey, I think we're going to get bad news. The doctor's asked you to come with me. And she's like, okay, I'll come. And so they got there and they went to check in. And the nurse said, well, uh, ma'am, the doctor would like to talk to you first. And he's like, okay. So she walks back and meets the doctor. And she says, doc, how bad is it? And he says, it's really bad. I mean, he's, he's in really bad shape. But you know what? He's just going to need a lot of love and a lot of attention. You know, you're going to just have to make his favorite meals. Uh, you're going to have to give him a lot of time off, just let him get a lot of rest. Uh, he needs sex one to two times a week, and you just got to take care of him in every way you can. I think if that happens, it's going to be okay. And she said, okay, thanks, Doc. And she walked out in the foyer, and the husband said, well, what did he say? She said, he said, you're going to die in two weeks. <laughs> Ladies, you don't, 
Let me encourage you. Respect matters to a man. And in fact, this was the best, and again, this is what I, I like because she did, if you read her book, Fierce Women, I'm going to read through this very quickly and we'll be done. She, ne- she shared an acronym using the word emasculation because I think a lot of guys, we're too tough to tell you what, when you hurt us. We're not really good. I mean, if two guys get together and talk about their feelings, that's just weird, all right? We don't do that. Uh, we don't go to bathrooms in herds. I mean, we just, you know, there's just, there's just, there's differences between men and women. And so a lot of women, you're, you're not respecting us, but we haven't been good at explaining what we find disrespectful. And so this is what she wrote. She said, I share an acronym using the word emasculation to spell out how we women can unintentionally strip our husbands of their manhood in a sense. I simply put down on paper a graphically honest description of myself combined with a few other women I've known and the profile of a destructively fierce woman began to emerge. E, if you just want to write this down or we'll try and get this to you later, but E is ego deflating treatment. Criticism that demeans, comparison, questioning his decisions regularly, mothering or smothering, dream destroying. M, manipulation. Behavior modification similar to puppy training techniques. Exerting pressure to get my way or get him to take care of his responsibilities. Hidden agenda between syrupy sweetness and batting eyelashes. Withholding sex or using it for bribery. A, aggression, taking forceful action to get what you want, pushy attitude, tone, and words, hit-and-run tactics, setting up emotional minefield for him to weave his way through, S, selfishness, self-focused, self-absorbed, self-serving, prone to self-pity, C, controlling, dominating, fearful of outcome if not calling the shots, attempting to change the husband, U, unrestrained words, talking too much, Tone plus facial expression, body language, which communicates he's an idiot, worthless, or can never do anything right. Using words as weapons. L, leaving your husband hungry for attention. Ignoring his needs, not making him a priority. Anything you can do, I can do better. Competitive rather than supportive. Superior attitude, intimidating. T, taking charge. Impatient, unwilling to wait for husband to act. Taking over his areas of responsibility. Saying he's the leader while you make all the decisions. Ladies, guys find this very disrespectful. I, independent living, pursuing separate interests, living in your own world, romance novels, Facebook, internet, friends, church, keeping secrets from him. Oh, obnoxiously opinionated, convinced yours is the only way, treating preference issues as absolutes, unteachable and unwilling to listen. And end, no margins. Spending time with your man is squeezed out by your overfilled schedule. He's not an important priority to you and he knows it. No time to build an intimate emotional bond through date nights or weekend excursions. They never, speaking of women, they never considered that their well-meaning help was completely deflating to their husband's desire to lead. And ladies, when God says, coming back to Ephesians 5.33, let a wife see that she respect her husband. In your notes here, the definition of the term respect or reverence, it's respect, regard, notices, honors, prefers, venerates, esteems, praises, loves, admire exceedingly. He's my man kind of attitude. Ladies, he's going to be working on the back deck. He'll put the first post and he says, hey, honey, come look what I've done. And you look out there and you go, it's a post in the ground. What he wants you to say is, you did that? That's amazing. 
You were the greatest guy ever. How did I get you? And some of you ladies are already rolling your eyes. You gotta be kidding me. Try it. You know what? He's, you know what? The whole world could hate me, and if my sweetheart loves me, I'm good. But when, when I don't have her respect, I don't have her appreciation, everyone in this room could think I'm the greatest, and you know what? It doesn't, it's just gross. Ladies, you have a great influence. Does your husband know that you still admire him? When's the last time you said to your husband, you are a good man? And if he's not a good man, I understand that's a hard thing. And don't ever lie. But look for the areas where you can praise him. I was a youth pastor when I had a team that was out of control. It may take a while, but I could always find something eventually. And when you find that thing, let him know, man, I love you for that. And you work so hard for our family. You provide for us. You fix those things. We'll be done and be. A wife should reverence him. Don't try to change him. Number one, a wife is not her husband's personalized Holy Spirit, although a lot of women would like that role. Number two, express thankfulness. When's the last time you told him how much you appreciated who he is and what he's done? Number three, be satisfied despite circumstances. Don't keep comparing him to someone else that has more. And how come we don't have what the Joneses have? Be joyful in spite of emotions. PMS is not a reason to rip his head off. It does affect you, and it is a challenge, but be joyful in spite of emotions. Praise him when he does well and encourage him when he fails. And ladies, I often say this when I do a wedding. Guys, are gonna, we're all going to make mistakes, women and men. And ladies, when your man makes a mistake and everyone else gets on his case and everyone else tells him he's a failure, you need to remind him you're only a failure when you quit trying. And he's going to feel bad about being a bad husband if God's speaking to him. You need to come alongside and say, honey, I really believe we can do this better. He's going to mess up with the kids sometimes. He's going to totally blow it. And you know how hurt the kids are and it crushes you because he made a huge mistake with the kids. He needs you to come alongside and say, honey, we can do better. You know, when you come along and you bury him, when you remind him he is a failure, you're not following what God's asked you to do. And God's asked you to respect him. And part of that is letting him know when he fails, it's not over. Get up again. Honey, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. I know that was a bad mistake. That was, a, that was really unfortunate how that went down, but I'm on your side. It's still going to be okay. And just like a God wants a husband to love you, regardless of what's going on. I mean, there's no excuse for a husband not to love his wife. And, and we went through that list last night, first, most, sacrificially, unmistakably, in spite of faults. And honestly, when a husband loves like that, it's easier to submit to you. It's easier to respect. But let's also be honest. God is perfect. Do we always submit to him? Do we always respect him? I mean, a perfect God. Everyone in this room says, I struggle with that sometimes. And then you have an imperfect husband. And God's saying, hey, but work on being respectful. Encourage him. Praise him when he does well and encourage him when he fails. 
help them get back up again. Man, I've made some really dumb mistakes over my 33 years of marriage. And praise God, my wife's still with me. And I've been through some hard things. And I've taken our family through some hard things. And praise God, only one time was I so discouraged that I was ready to quit the ministry. And I remember coming home, my youngest was still at home, I sat my wife down, I said, hey, I think I should go be an electrician. I think there's something I'd rather do than ministry. And she looked at me and said, I don't think this is what God has for us. I promise you, and she had said at that moment, good idea, I wouldn't be talking to you tonight. But she got behind me and said, no, I know this stinks. This is a really rotten thing that we're having to go through, but we're not going to quit. And I would just challenge you ladies, if you can get to be that kind of respect, to say, hey, I am going to be your biggest cheerleader. And, you know, it's funny about a date night, when guys go all out, man, I have a satanic fly attacking me here tonight. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Uh, but you go out all out on a date. You, you, I mean, you go flowers, fancy, her favorite fancy restaurant. I mean, everything is awesome. Most guys are expecting to have sex that night. And most women are okay to have sex that night because they had all of that, because they were loved and cherished. And... Ladies, never use that as a weapon. And again, don't just be friends, be lovers. That's God's plan for marriage. Let's close in prayer and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get together tonight. Lord, as we've looked at the responsibilities of a wife, Lord, I pray that the wives here tonight, if you spoke to their heart, God, I pray they would walk and decide there's one thing I'm going to work on. God, maybe you revealed several things to them, but God, help them to just pick one thing tonight. God, help the husbands in this room to pray for their wife and pray with their wife. God, help our marriages to reflect Christ in the church. God, may our marriages be so sweet that unsaved people want to know what's going on. Why are our families so different? And may it be because we are so committed to obeying you and what you've asked us to be as a husband and a wife. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.